Welcome to another edition of the Pull Tab Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing. Anchor Spotify, now available on Apple Podcast. So appreciate you listening. Appreciate all the feedback that I've received this last week. I'm actually going to take some of that feedback and incorporate it into today's show with a few questions that were posed to me. So we'll cover some of that today. Obviously, we'll do a pull tab coming down the pike. And the Packers 2020 schedule was released. So we'll go through that game by game and take a look. We'll spend a ton of time on it. But it's always fun to kind of go through and pick the win-loss record and see how the Packers are going to do this year. And then, of course, the last call favorite. So we'll get into the show. We'll get going here. And first thing out of the shoot is Don Shula. Don Shula passed away May 4th this week. Obviously, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, an icon, a legend of the sport. Two Super Bowl wins, but obviously the biggest accolade was orchestrating the 1972 Miami Dolphins undefeated season, which still is the only undefeated team to this day of a season. So sorry to hear about that. Thoughts and prayers with his family and hope Don Shula rests in peace. So we'll get on with the show here. And the first question that I was posed and some feedback that I got was, what is your favorite player in the state of Wisconsin or a team in the state of Wisconsin and out of state when I was growing up? So I broke this down to a few different sports and categories here. So let's take a look. Obviously, the football is easy. Brett Favre is my favorite quarterback, favorite football player of all time. Made a little bit of news this week that he may or may not allegedly have taken some money for not showing up to appearances. He says they were for PSAs, not speaking engagements. So we'll see how that story plays out. But Brett Favre, the old gunslinger. I mean, the guy was just awesome, fun to watch. You knew what you got with him. You were going to get some of the best throws you'll ever see anybody make in the game, more comebacks, things like that, like amazing comebacks that you'll see that many people can't do. And then there's also the bad part about it, the horrible interceptions that he throws and the bad decisions that he made. But you knew what you got with him, and you took it. You took the good you know, with the bad, and Favre, there's nothing else to say. Great career, love him, You know, just an absolute gamer, iron man of, of, of the NFL, so... Easy choice there for my favorite football player, Brett Favre. On the other side of the coin, uh, John Elway. When I grew up, I really, really loved John Elway. And I'm not sure exactly where I gravitated towards him. I think it was because when I grew up, my dad and I watched all the, all the Packer games, and they were, typically were on at noon Central Time. And the Broncos always seemed to be the light game at 3.15. And that's probably where I gravitated to John Elway as I got a chance to see him play when the Packers game was over with. Denver would come on, and I would just continue watching football. But... I really, really like John, another another gamer, football player. I mean, a missile for a right arm. The comebacks, no question, are part of his repertoire. You know, the drive against Cleveland obviously stands out the most, but John Elway was always one of my favorite football players, too, growing up. Really, really, really thought highly of him as well, too. Baseball. Well, growing up, baseball, Robin Yount, I think is probably a pretty easy choice for a lot of kids growing up that were in that time frame. Paul Molitor, a little funny story about Paul Molitor. I told everyone when I was in kindergarten that Paul Molitor was my dad. I didn't actually believe him for quite a while. And then the, uh, you know, they found out it wasn't true. But yeah, for a while I told Paul Molitor was my dad. So that was a little interesting story, backstory to me. Player outside of the state of Wisconsin, Cal Ripken Jr. for the Orioles. The Iron Man, 2,632 games. Maybe there's some sort of correlation to why I like the Iron Man between Brett Favre and Cal Ripken. I don't know. But... Really liked Cal Ripken Jr. You know, he was he was a guy I followed a lot outside of, of, of the Brewers organization. So I would say Robin Yount and Cal Ripken as a non-Brewers of my, some of my favorite players growing up. They go to basketball, the Bucks. Well, the Bucks in the 80s and the 90s, I should say mid to late 80s and early 90s, were a very interesting group of cast of characters. Terry Cummings, Cindy Moncrief, 
And then we had Brad Lowhouse and Jack Sickman, Fred Roberts, and, and that, that crew, which will never be duplicated again. That was just an interesting time for the Bucks. But Ray Allen's probably my favorite Buck of all time. Obviously, they traded him to Seattle for Gary Payton, which is an absolute garbage trade that they never should have made. Horrible trade. But that's a discussion for another time. But Ray Allen is right up there at the top of the list. And obviously, Giannis. Giannis is fast approaching that very quickly. Is becoming my favorite Bucks player of all time. But I would say Ray Allen. We'll get into some of the Bucks here in a little bit. But, you know, the Cummings and the Moncriefs and, and that time frame was, was a lot of fun to watch basketball for the Bucks. They were mediocre. They were either a little bit above average or a little, they were a little bit below average. And that early 90s Bucks team I talked about, same thing. They were just a cast of characters that just played basketball. There was really nothing special there. They were just a bunch of blue-collar guys that went to work. So moving on, we'll go and get into racing. Racing, stock car, Jeff Gordon, open wheel, Al Armstrong Jr. were my two guys. I started watching NASCAR right about the time Jeff Gordon started coming in, that 94, 93, 94 season. Gravitated towards him, just really liked him, thought he was good. Um, watched a bunch of him, his sprint car racing things of that. So I was kind of intrigued by Jeff coming in. So I've been a Jeff Gordon guy pretty much his whole career. And open wheel, Little Al. Little Al was my guy. Indy cars used to come race at the Milwaukee Mile on my birthday weekend. And we'd always go down there and watch those guys run. It was right after the Indy 500 every year. And Little Al was just always my guy. So that's kind of where I fall for racing. Next question that was posed was, what was the best game that I attended in person or live event? And I broke this down into three different categories, actually, because I have a best game that I remember that I attended. I have a best season of a number of games that I went to. And then a, a single inaugural, inaugural event that I went to. So the first one we'll get to is the best game I attended. And that was November 6th in 2000. It was a Monday night football game. The Vikings were in town to play the Packers. And it was a nasty night. It was rain. It was cold. It was windy. It was just a horrible, a horrible night. Obviously, being at Lambeau is great no matter what the weather is. But the weather was definitely, definitely challenging that night. Long story short, the game went back and forth. It was a really good game. At the end of the game, Minnesota had a chance to win the game with a field goal. They botched the snap, and instead of spiking it in the ground and taking a shot of the field goal, they chucked the ball up in the air and threw a pick. So it ended up going into overtime. Packers get the ball, drive down the field, get, get a little bit past midfield, and Favre drops back, launches up a, a floater to Antonio Freeman. Chris Dishman, the Minnesota Vikings cornerback, makes a play on it, goes through his hands, he loses track of the ball, runs down the field, think the ball falls incomplete. It actually lands on Antonio Freeman's shoulder. And as he rolls over, the ball kind of kicks up. He reaches out, grabs it, pops up, runs into the end zone. This is the famous Al Michaels call. He did what? That was the game. And in 2005, actually, ESPN voted that was the best play or the greatest play in NFL history. I'm sure it's not anymore. But at that time, it was voted the greatest play in NFL history. And we were actually sitting on the 30-yard line, the side that Freeman caught the pass. He caught it, or the ball hit at the 20. He rolled over, caught it at the 15, and popped up and ran it in. So that was awesome to be there for that game. I mean, you want to talk about rocking and rolling in Lambeau. You know, they did the replay. It was all good. It was never touched. And just awesome. I mean, that was a lot of fun to be in that game. To witness that kind of a play was, was, was awesome. You know, that it kind of brings me back to that ABC booth, too, a little bit. I think a lot of people forget at one time that Al Michaels, Dan Fouts, and comedian Dennis Miller were doing the – the booth for that year, anyway. And that was an interesting ca cast of characters in the booth. Al Michaels, I love him. There's a lot of people that don't like him. I still think he's one of the best in the business. Dan Fouts, you know what you get with Dan Fouts. You know, he's just a real, just middle-of-the-road guy. You know, says some things that probably aren't the smartest, maybe. But he's okay. He's not a bad commentator. And Dennis Miller, I really didn't like Dennis Miller to start the season. But as it wore on, 
I think he got better at it. I think he got thrust into that situation he wasn't ready for, but I thought he got better at it. That trio was obviously didn't last very long, and they broke it up pretty quickly, but I just thought I'd bring it up to, to you guys to remember that, that point in time. And obviously there was some news yesterday about the Monday Night Football booth currently with Joe Tessitore and, and Booger McFarland are not going to be back next year. ESPN says they're going to replace them with some in-house staff, Lewis Reddick possibly. So well, interesting to see how that plays out, but that's been an evolving changing booth for the last few years now that Monday Night Football booth so just a sidebar note as far as that goes but the best game I attended easily the Packers Vikings that Monday Night Football game in 2000 which 20 years ago now my god time flies by so fast it's just amazing second part of this question I thought about the season like what was the season I saw the most games and I had the most fun with and that one would have been the Bucks 2000 into the 2001 season with their run to the Eastern Conference Finals against Philadelphia my buddy BT and I had a good hookup with tickets, and we probably went to, including the playoffs, maybe 30, 35 games that year. And the Bradley Center, which probably NBA standards, middle of the road for attendance, I think it's around 18,000 or so, the Bradley Center seated for NBA games. But, man, that place was rocking and rolling all year long. The Bucks were a 22, plus 2,200 to start the season to win the championship that year. That means if you put $100 down and they would have won the championship, 2,200 bucks. That's how little the NBA or Vegas thought that they were going to win the championship that year. But they assembled a good team. They had the big three, Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, big dog, Len Robinson, T-squared, Tim Thomas, Irvin Johnson in the middle. They just assembled a good good cast of characters. And they, you know, they like to shoot. I mean, between Cassell, Allen, and Robinson were up and down the floor. He had three guys that could really control the flow of the game. So that season, they ended up finishing 52-30. and 30. They won the Eastern Conference. And they were second overall, I'm sorry, the Eastern Division. They were second overall in the playoff seating. First round of the playoffs, home court against Orlando. They won in four games. Second round of the playoffs was a really, really hard-fought battle with the Hornets. They had home court, the Bucks did, and they won that series in seven. And then came Philly. Philly had home court, so the Bucks went on the road there and went all the way to game seven on that one. They ended up losing 108-91 in that game on my birthday, June 3rd, 2001. So that, that was not a, a very good birthday present. But that whole season as a whole, going to those games and seeing the evolution from the start of the season where a lot of people were interested in them, not really. Bucks games were kind of attended, not so much, to the middle of the year when it really took like it really took hold and that place started really, really getting packed. Everywhere around the Bradley Center, the bars and the restaurants, if you couldn't get a ticket to get in the game, you know, they were reaping the benefits of the Bucks success. So that was a lot of fun that year to go to those games. And I look back on it now, where we are today with this quarantine and the NBA season being shut down. This is the Bucks' best chance to win an NBA championship pretty much since then. I know last year the Bucks were good, like we talked about in a previous podcast, but this year they're championship ready. That 2001 team of the Bucks was championship ready. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that series against Philly, against Philly really was a lot of whispers and, and behind-the-scenes rumors that the NBA really didn't want the Bucs to win that series. Now, I'm a homer. Yep, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, but I'm absolutely going to jump on board with this one because I watched all those games that year. If we, didn't, weren't, if we weren't at the Bradley Center, we watched everyone on TV. That Philadelphia series was the most poorly officiated series I have ever seen in the NBA. It was absolutely atrocious. Now, everyone can roll their eyes and shake their head and say, yep, here we go again, but think about it for a minute. You had Philly and the Bucks, and the Lakers had already punched their ticket to the championship. What's better for the NBA, a bigger market in Philly and Iverson against Kobe and Shaq, or the smallest or one of the smallest markets in the NBA with Ray Allen, Cassell, and Big Dog going out there? Now, 
The Bucks swept the top four teams in the West that year, including the Lakers. The Lakers did not have an answer for what the Bucks brought to the table. So it really would have been interesting to see if the Bucks would have got to the championship that year, if they could have got it done. I think they could have. I think they could have got it done. But if you get a chance to go back, and if you want to ever go back and, and prove me wrong, go take a look at those games in that Eastern Conference Finals in 2001 against Philly. It was just some of the most poorly, poorly officiated games I have ever seen. So, all right, I'll take my tinfoil hat off here now. We'll move on. The inaugural game I mentioned before, last part of this question. So my dad took me to the Miller Park opener in Milwaukee, Milwaukee Brewers opened a new stadium. County Stadium was now long gone. Miller Park being brought in. So April 6, in 2001, they opened against the Reds. George Bush threw out the first pitch. So that was pretty awesome to see the President of the United States throw out the first pitch. The game was really good. It was a 4-4 game. In the bottom of the eighth, Richie Sexton finally hit a home run to break that tie, and they ended up winning 5-4. But just being at an inaugural opening of something like that is just awesome. Miller Park is one of, you know, I've been to a few baseball parks in, in Major League Baseball, and I love Miller Park. I think it's they did a really nice job. I think it's timeless. I don't think it looks like it was built in 2001. They do a great job keeping it up. They just did major renovations last year to it to do a lot of the um, the eating areas and the vendors and stuff like that. They put a lot of different brewing taps in there, home brews, craft brews, bringing a lot of local flavor into it. So I think they do a great job at Miller Park. I love it. I just when you, when when you come down 994, it's just there. It's it's part of the part of the skyline off to the side. You know, the retractable roof. I just think it's a really, really well done, well done baseball park. So those are kind of the three that I broke up into the question about my best game attended. Those are kind of three things. One a game, one a, a season, and then one of inaugural. So who knows what come down the pike and other things I'll get a chance to go to. But those are some of my favorites or some things that I've done in the past that uh, I'll always look back on and cherish. So, all right, with that, the 2020 Packers schedule was announced. NFL released all the team's schedules on Thursday. So let's take a quick look at it. There's some things I like, some things I don't like about this schedule. So let's take a rundown. We'll do a little win-loss, win-loss record, and see what we come up with here. So kick off the season at Minnesota. I don't like this at all. This is one of the parts of the schedule I do not care for. House of Horrors for the Packers going to Minnesota to open the season. So I'm going to chalk that one off to a loss, 0-1 right off the bat. Minnesota, I think, is probably going to be really, really tough to beat this year for that NFC North title division. I think the Packers are going to be right there, but I think Minnesota is going to be pretty tough to beat this year. So we'll chalk week one up with a loss. Now, the good news is you come back home and get to play Detroit at home in week two. So we'll chalk that one up to a win. Matt Patricia is obviously, I think, on the hot seat this year in Detroit to get it done, or at least to show major improvements, probably have to make the playoffs. And Detroit's improving, but coming into Lambeau, rocking and rolling for the first game of the year at home, we'll give the Pack a win on that one. Week three, man, probably the toughest game in the schedule, especially early on, is going to be traveling to New Orleans. It's going to be a Sunday night football game. That is going to be a tough environment to go down there and win. New Orleans, obviously, is going to be one of the favorites to win the NFC again this year. Drew Brees, last year, possibly, maybe two years left, really wants to get it done. I think they made some major improvements on defense, which I think was their biggest flaw last year. This is going to be a tough one for the Pack to go down there and win that one. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this one's going to be a loss in Sunday night football. Good news? After that, come back home to play the Falcons on Monday Night Football, which obviously, you know, the Falcons have underperformed last year, making some changes there, some different personnel coming in, Todd Gurley at running back, things like that. So I think Green Bay wins this game. I, think, I don't think Atlanta's going to be hitting their stride there in week four. I think they're an average to below average team this year, so we'll give the Pack a win there. So going into the bye week, week five, which is just atrocious. Having a bye week in week five is like the worst thing you can have in the NFL. Who wants a bye week? 
that early in the season. Nobody does. You want the bye week in the middle or towards the end of the season is where you really want to draw that. Man, I don't know what to say there. You know, hopefully everyone's relatively healthy going into that bye week because you're not going to have a chance to get healthy or have guys injured come back later in the year like you would with a bye week. So don't care for that very often to have that, that early bye week. After that, they head to Tampa, play Tom Brady, Gronkowski, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to give this one a loss. I think Tampa Bay is going to be improved this year, obviously, with Tom Brady, but they just have so many weapons around him on offense right now. With our defense still working things out, we've gotten better. But I just think by week six of the NFL season, I think Tom Brady and Tampa are going to be hitting their stride, getting getting together between Arians and Leftwich and Brady, figuring things out. I just think they're going to be in a better place than they are in week one of the season. So I'm going to say that one's going to be a loss for the pack. Come back the following week, travel to Houston to play the Texans. Texans, obviously, are an interesting team this year. Made a lot of questionable moves down there this year, trading Hopkins and some other things. So I'm not sure Houston's going to be in a spot this year as a win now or an average to above average team. So I'll give the Packers a W on that one. So after Houston, we come back on November 1st and a home game against the Vikings. They avenged a loss from the week one earlier in the year. And they're going to trade home and home. So I'm going to give the Packers a win on that one. Minnesota will come in. It'll be a good game, I'm sure. But I'll give the Packers a win on that one. Then the following week, Thursday night football, travel out to San Fran. I'm not going to spend really much time on this one. That's because it's going to be a loss. Until Green Bay can travel to the West Coast and prove to me that they can play out there, I'm just going to chalk that one up to a loss. I'm not going to spend much time on it. Good news, come back home when you play Jacksonville. Probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Might be a surprise. I doubt it. Give the Packers a win on that one. Then off to Indy the following week, November 22nd. This is actually an interesting game. Indianapolis will be a fun team to watch to see how they shake out with Phillip Rivers at quarterback, if they can keep him upright. Obviously, we talked podcast about Jonathan Taylor coming in the fold there. They're going to be able to get that running game going. Their defense has improved. So Frank Reich does, does a real good job in Indy. They've improved. So I think it's going to be a pretty hard game, but I like the Packers to win that one. Week 12, a Sunday night football game against the Bears. We have to wait to week 12 to see the Chicago Bears at home. I'm going to give the Pack a win on that one. Chicago, I'm not really sure what Matt Nagy's going to have going on there. Obviously, they brought they brought in Foles and they have Trubisky, and who knows how that's going to shake out. So I think Chicago is going to be below average, which is just fine in my opinion every single year if they are. So we'll give the Packers a win on that one. Following week, Philadelphia Eagles come to town. I'm going to give this one a loss. I just think Philly's going to, going to be a pretty pretty decent team this year. And I think that's going to be a really hard-fought game. There's some of these games in the schedule you can look at, and there's so many games at the end of the year you'll be like, wow, I can't believe they won that They won that game. I can't believe they lost that game. This is one of them right here. I think Philly comes in and wins that one. Then off to Detroit in Week 14. I'm going to give that one a win for the Pack. Same thing, Detroit. Not sure how that's going to shake out this year. They really need to, to improve, as I mentioned before. But I'll give the Pack a win on that one. Week 15, this is another interesting one. At home against Carolina. This is another one of those ones where I'm not sure where Carolina's going to be. Right? they got Bridgewater quarterback. Matt Rule comes in. A little bit of a change of culture in Carolina. They traveled to Lambeau. I'm going to give the Packers a win on this one. But, man, it is going to be pretty close. It's going to be pretty close how I feel about that. That easily could be a loss. But I'll give Green Bay a win. Next week, stay at Lambeau against Tennessee. Tennessee, obviously a surprise team last year. Did, did really well with Tannehill at quarterback. Frabel's got those guys going in the right direction down there. But coming to Lambeau is a pretty, a pretty tough task, and I'm going to give the Packers a win. And then to close up the season at home against the Bears. I'm sorry, at Chicago against the Bears. And we'll just give that one a win. We'll always pick them to, to beat the Bears every single year, no matter what it is. So 
chalk it all up. I got the Packers at 11 and five this year. I think whenever you do this this early on, obviously there's so many unknowns of what happens there. But I think you know 10 and six is probably more realistic to this team. Is that going to be enough to win the division? Not so sure. 11 and five might be enough to win the division. But like I mentioned, I think between them and Minnesota, that's going to be the battle to try to get it done. Rest of the NFC, who knows if you're going to be able to get to a wild card with some of these other divisions and some of these teams improving. But we'll go with that. We'll go with an 11-5, possibly 10-6. Like I mentioned, the Philly-Carolina game, even the Tennessee game could be kind of up in the air. I think those can go either way. But it's always kind of fun to look at this and see where we're at, get excited for the 2020 season. Let's just hope we get the 2020 season kicked off on time amid all this quarantine and stuff. Obviously, things are opening up. Cups going back racing next weekend. That was awesome. World of Outlaws went racing this past weekend. That was good. So the flowers starting to bloom a little bit here. Hopefully, we'll get back to a little bit of a normal life. So we'll tie in this 2020 Packers schedule. I actually seen this, and it was actually kind of surprising to me, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to chat about real quick. Vegas released the week one lines already for the games, and I haven't really seen that that early, and that's I just haven't paid attention. But obviously, these lines are based on where we stand today. These are, uh, I guess I would call the way too early week one Vegas odds, but you know, it's kind of fun to take a look at it and see see what Vegas thinks of teams already. You know, one one thing as I go through some of these wagering and, and talking about some of these Vegas odds and things to a lot of people that don't understand it or don't realize how this all works. When you look at a point spread, there's kind of one and two rules of thumb you kind of take into take into account. Always give the home team three points. That's kind of where the lines always Vegas lines always start. So Take a look at this first game. Thursday night to kick off the NFL season. The Super Bowl champs, Kansas City, are at home against Houston, and they're an 11-point favorite. So, in all reality, Kansas City is an 8-point favorite in this game, but you always give the team, the home team, three points. So, Vegas thinks that they're an 8-point better team than Houston for the most part. So, that's kind of where that, that line derives at minus 11. Seattle at Atlanta on a Sunday now kicks off the slate. And here's another example. Seattle's a minus 1.5 at Atlanta. So in all reality, Vegas is saying that Seattle is probably a four-and-a-half-point better team than Atlanta. So Atlanta gets the three points for being a home team. You take the three points away, add a point-and-a-half. They think they're four-and-a-half points better. Seattle's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. So that's kind of a rule of thumb as it goes. If you see an even spread, that means that the opposing team, they probably think it's three points better, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll get into a little bit of that, but that's just a little bit of how that works. Now, as far as where Vegas gets the line from, where they say, hey, Kansas City's an eight-point better team or Seattle's a four-and-a-half-point better team, there's a lot of matrix and things that go into that. But the rule of thumb is you always want to give the home team three points, home field advantage, whatever you want to call it. So in layman's terms, that, that's that's kind of how I look at things. That's kind of how you know most sports bettors and things like that look at that. The other part of the lines to take a look at is always the hook. The, you know, the minus one and a half, like I mentioned with Seattle, the point five, the hook. Always got to pay attention to that. That is that is bad beat central, you know, into a T. So three and a half, obviously a lot of games are won by three. There's a lot of three-and-a-half lines out there. There's a lot of two-and-a-half lines out there where if a team wins by three, you know, the, the, the two-and-a-half line can come into play. Over-unders for sure. The over-unders are 44-and-a-half. Like I mentioned in a previous podcast, the over-under is the total points by both teams. So if Seattle and Atlanta play and the score is 13-10, to 10, the total points is 23. The over-under for that game was 37. Obviously, it, way, way, it went way under the total. If they the final score of that game was 31-30, for a total of 61, and the over-under was 48, that'd be over over the total. But there's a lot of hooks that they put in, Vegas will put in on the over-unders, so 44-and-a-half, you know, you're not going to push. You're either going to be an over or an under. So the hook is always something to, to pay attention to, and it, it's a big difference in some people's bets that they make. So 
We'll run down the gamut here real quick. Like I mentioned, Houston at Kansas City to kick off the season Thursday night football. Kansas City's minus 11. Kick off the Sunday slate, Seattle, minus one and a half at Atlanta. Don't have much thought there. Philadelphia is at Washington. Philly's a minus six and a half. Obviously, Washington with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, trying to get Wentz back up to speed. Philly should be a pretty decent team this year. Washington's still unknown. So Philly laying almost a touchdown on the road. So, And that's another thing to think about, too. When you're laying those kind of points on the road in the NFL, that's a lot. It's not like college. You know, some of these college teams go on the road, and they lay 30, 40 points, and they cover it without a problem. In the NFL, you start getting into the seven eights and double digits on the road, that's really something to take a look at. If you look at some of the stats over the years and the percentages, they don't come in very often. So that's always something to watch out when you're, when you're evaluating lines for the week. New England at home against Miami, minus 5.5. That's an interesting line. I'm not so sure New England should be laying five and a half to anybody right now until we see what they have. Miami obviously finished the season really strong. Brian Flores, I mentioned in an earlier podcast, love what they're doing down there. New England, Stidham at quarterback, he's got to prove himself. So right off the bat, initially looking at that line, I don't like it. I don't like that line at all. New England minus five and a half. Next one on the board, Packers-Minnesota. I already mentioned before, I think Minnesota wins that week one game. Minnesota's a three and a half point favorite here at home. I think, they're, I think they'll cover that. Like I said, that's a tough place. Green Bay always has trouble in Minnesota. Indy at Jacksonville. Jacksonville obviously not not expected to be one of the better teams in the league. Indy rebounding, becoming better. Indy's laying seven here. They're minus seven at Jacksonville. Chicago at Detroit. Chicago's laying a point here. Two very, very similar teams uh, of, where of where they stand in the 2020, so not surprised to see that kind of line. Next game, Cleveland at Baltimore. Baltimore minus 10. You know, these double-digit lines are very, very hard in the NFL. Not even just on the road, like I mentioned before about laying points on the road, but even at home, a minus 10 or even Kansas City, a minus 11. Man, that's a lot of points to cover. You know, this is professional football. You know, the other team is not that bad. They're, they're good. You know, they may not be good in standards and the records and wins and losses, but those are all professional athletes over there. And a minus 10, it doesn't take much to cover that. It doesn't take much to cover that. Cleveland scores 13, 17 points in that game. They're probably going to cover 10. So, but initially, Baltimore's laying 10 here in this game in week one. Jets at Buffalo. Buffalo's minus six and a half. Again, two teams in very similar positions. Young quarterbacks, the Jets, you know, with Sam Darnold and Buffalo's got Josh Allen. You know, obviously a lot of a lot of building blocks going on with those two organizations, but six and a half seems like a big number in that game to me. The debut of the Las Vegas Raiders will be at Carolina. And like I mentioned before, that's an even spread. So they think Vegas could be a little bit better than Carolina, taking that three-point home advantage away. For an even line, an even line basically is is just pick the winner. There's no point spread there. So if you see an even line, you just pick a winner. You pick Carolina, they win. You're home, and and same with same with Vegas. So next game on the board, Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers at Cincinnati. Joan Burrow's probably home debut. Chargers laying five in that game. Probably the best game on a slate is Tampa Bay at New Orleans for Week One. If I just quickly look at it, Tampa Bay heading in with Tom Brady for the first game, going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, obviously, like I mentioned before, with the Packers on their schedule, hard place to play. New Orleans is laying six and a half in this game, which is a pretty big number. But then again, Tampa Bay has a lot to prove. They haven't proven anything yet. You can sign the, you know, the quote-unquote greatest quarterback of all time and quote-unquote greatest tight end of all time and all this, all this other nonsense. But you got to put it on the field and put it together. So we'll see if those guys can get get the wrinkles ironed out early on in the season. But six and a half, New Orleans, pretty good team this year. Next game, Arizona at San Fran. San Fran laying seven. Arizona again. Young quarterback, putting building blocks around him, trading for Hopkins from Houston, which great trade for Arizona. Put around with Kyler Murray and Larry Fitzgerald and, 
and try to get him back up to speed. So Arizona will be an interesting team to watch this year and see how much progress they make down there. Dallas at the Los Angeles Rams. Dallas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite here. Rams, obviously, in a weird spot last year, had a lot of the contracts they had to get rid of and, and definitely moving some, some parts and pieces around with that organization. Not sure how they're going to look. Dallas obviously looked pretty good last year. Should be either the same, if not a little bit uh, more improved. Dak, obviously, playing, wants a big contract. He's got to play well to get that contract. So not surprised to see Dallas favored there on the road. And then to close out week one, Monday Night Football, obviously there's always two games, week one, Monday Night Football, and early and the late. The early game is Pittsburgh at the Giants. Pittsburgh, field goal uh, favorite here, minus three. Not surprised there. Pittsburgh probably going to be rebounding to a little bit better team this year. Giants still something to prove. Young quarterback, Daniel Jones, young running back, Barkley. So we'll see how that, how that plays out in New York, but not surprised to see Pittsburgh favored here. And the late game, Monday Night Football, Tennessee at Denver. Denver's a three-point favorite here. Again, another team with a young quarterback and Drew Locke. I don't know. Tennessee, were they for real last year? Was that run that they made for real? We'll find out. I actually like Tennessee in this game initially on the road against Denver. I think Tennessee is a pretty pretty decent football team, and I love defensive teams. I love defensive games. I love when games are 10-3. Are to 3. I love watching the, the Ravens back in 2000 and the Buccaneers in 2001 with those, those nasty, nasty defenses. So I think Tennessee will be a pretty, pretty solid football team. And initially, I'd jump on Tennessee with that with the points but again way too early week one lines you have no idea what's going to change from here there could be more trades obviously injuries are going to happen quarterbacks there's quarterback battles across the league you know you really don't know but it's kind of fun to take a look at that and the other thing I always look at when the schedule first comes out is my favorite holiday of the year is Thanksgiving hands down and unfortunately this year we have some pretty some pretty snoozers here to watch on Thanksgiving day but the early game will be Houston at Detroit garbage Garbage at garbage. Washington at Dallas. Washington, like I said, they're probably going to be a little bit better, but they're going to go to Dallas and get worked. And then the late game is actually the only one worth watching. Obviously, we'll watch them all, but the only one that have any kind of maybe meaningful interest will be Baltimore at Pittsburgh. That should be a pretty good game. If Pittsburgh's improved this year, which I believe they will be, Baltimore will be good this year. So that'll be a pretty good one to, to nightcap your Thanksgiving day. But those are the things I like to look at. I always love Thanksgiving. Who doesn't love Thanksgiving, right? Football all day long. You get to eat all day long. It's just great. Now that they added that Sunday night football game a few years back, it just makes it all the better. So, all right. Well, obviously, the pull tab podcast. Let's open a pull tab here and see what we have this week. All right. First symbol, some dark clouds. Symbol two, crutches. Symbol three, fire. So, this is the Alex Smith pull tab. And if you don't know who Alex Smith is, he's a quarterback in the NFL. He was drafted in 2005, first overall by the San Francisco 49ers. And of course, Everyone knows that draft. That's the draft Aaron Rodgers fell to the Packers. Played at his college football at University of Utah. Mobile quarterback. Throw the football. Really good. First couple years in San Fran, not so good. It's not what you wanted for the number one overall pick in the draft. In fact, in the first year, in 2005, he threw for 875 yards. He had one touchdown and 11 interceptions with a quarterback rating of 40.8. My God, that is atrocious. I mean, that is, you know, I feel like I could go in there in the NFL and put up those kind of numbers. Absolutely horrible. But, you know, slowly got better in 2006, 2007 regressed, 2009 obviously was kind of a middle of the road year. But not until Harbaugh got there did, did it not turn around for him. Once Harbaugh got there, he started putting up some decent numbers in San Fran. So the problem in San Fran was by the time he started getting better, got a concussion. What happened after he got the concussion? Enter Colin Kaepernick. And obviously, Colin Kaepernick came in there and for that moment in time changed the quarterback position for what he was able to do. Packer fans, we know how much he ran all over us. It was ridiculous. But 
Kaepernick changed the position for them, and San Fran decided, you know what, Alex Smith, is, as much as he improved, you've been here for a few years, but Kyle Kaepernick to us is the future of the team. So they shipped him off to Kansas City, 2013, and you know what, it did pretty good out there. I mean, he threw for th- over 3,000 yards from 2013 to 2016, double-digit touchdowns, and only single-digit interceptions. In fact, from 2011, even when he was in San Fran, to 2018 when he's ended up in Washington here, single-digit interceptions. It's pretty impressive, taking care of the football. Not necessarily, I wouldn't say Alex Smith is a game manager, because if you look at his his yards and touchdowns, over 3,000 yards, I mean, 2017, his last year in Kansas City, he threw for 4,042 yards, 26 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, and 104.7 quarterback rating. That is freaking awesome. I mean, that's a great job by Andy Reid and that staff in Kansas City. But those numbers are not game manager numbers, right? Those numbers will win you football games, okay? Problem in Kansas City was drafted this young kid named Patrick Mahomes. So even as great of a year that Alex Smith had in 2017, Andy Reid and, and his guys out there in Kansas City want Mahomes to be the future, and they shipped him off to Washington. Obviously, it worked out for Kansas City. Mahomes took the Chiefs to the Super Bowl this year and won, so proving to be the right decision. But Alex Smith's getting moved around the league here when he's really actually a pretty solid quarterback, which is the interesting part of this whole thing. So where I'm going with this is 2018, he plays for Washington. On November 18th, 2018, against the Texans, Kareem Jackson comes unblocked on a blitz, gets him, J.J. Watt piles on, and basically snaps his leg in half. Compound fracture, what they said at the time. So career very much, very much in jeopardy at this point. Eerily, 33 years earlier to the day, Joe Theismann, who was the quarterback of the Washington Redskins, had Lawrence Taylor sack him and basically the same injury, snap his leg in half. So eerie some of those things are. Sometimes it comes around full, full circle. But where I'm going with this is ESPN did an E60 called Project 11, and it's an hour-long documentary on basically what happened the day that Alex Smith fractured his leg to where he has a, is at now, and I encourage everybody to go watch it. The determination and everything he shows is amazing. The surgery, he basically was rushing to surgery right after that happened. They took him to the hospital. But the problem is, is the days out of the surgery is where he contracted a flesh-eating bacteria on his leg. And they had to make the decision where, you know, amputation could have been an option for him. It got so bad, it was actually life-threatening. They were saving his life at one point. That's how bad it had gotten. So they decided to go forward do surgeries, try to save the leg the best they could, multiple, multiple surgeries before they finally could get the flesh-eating bacteria out of him. Now, if you watch this documentary, it's not for, it's not for the fate at heart. It's very graphic. They show his leg in various stages of the surgeries. And in fact, when they finally cleaned out the bacteria, the last shot of his leg was, was just really, really brutal. But the determination he's showing, saying that, you know, but coming from amputation to saving his life to now... They showed him now he's working out, he's running around, trying to get back in the football field. Will he ever play football again? Most likely not. But the guy never sat there and, and played the poor me game. He came out of this thing with you know, eyes wide open, being thankful for what he had, thankful for his family, thankful for a second shot really at life. I really encourage everyone to go take a look at this. It really changed my view on Alex Smith. You know, the dark cloud portion of the symbol was he always had something over his head. When things started going right, then dark cloud came in, right? He had the concussion. Kaepernick came in. Started finding his groove in Kansas City, put the best numbers up in his career that year. Ship him off to Washington because Patrick Mahomes comes into the scene. So, 
You know, it took a long time for Alex Smith to get there to be a good NFL quarterback, but like I said, he's not a game manager. He's a good NFL quarterback, and he will win you games. Doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, single-digit interceptions for all those years from, from 2011 to 2018 is, is quite remarkable. Quarterback rating always increasing. Finishing up, like I mentioned, 104.7 quarterback rating in 2017 is just phenomenal. So I encourage everyone to go watch the C60. It's called Project 11 on Alex Smith. It's really inspirational. So go check it out. I think it's uh, I think it's worth watching. Like I said, though, be careful. There's a lot of graphic images in there as well. All right, well, we'll wrap this podcast up. My last call favorite. I might be a little bit late to the party with this one. Um, this isn't really necessarily a product, but during quarantine, obviously people have found different things to do. A lot of binge watching happening on TV. I don't watch anything unless it's sports. So we're in the day 62, whatever it is now without sports. You know, obviously coming back here soon with racing, cup racing and stuff coming this weekend, but binge watching. My wife and I started watching some different series on Netflix, Tiger King and all that other stuff like that, which Tiger King was very interesting. But the one that we started gravitating towards was Ozark. Started in July of 2017 and has three seasons right now. They finished up a season, I believe 2020 was the last time they just finished up this recording of this last season. They're about an hour long, 10 episodes per season, so around 30. But the long or the short is Marty Bird is the character and it's played by Jason Bateman. And he moves his family to the Ozarks. He gets caught up in his money laundering for the drug cartel and he he moves his family to the Ozarks and starts buying up businesses and, and starts having to try to launder money for this cartel. So that's pretty much the long of the short, but I can't even explain the show to you. A lot of you have probably already seen it. Some of you may have not, but the storylines that are in this in this show, are, are they're fascinating. There are so many layers to this show, and how the producers and the writers kept it straight is amazing to me. And the good thing I like about it is the acting is great, but with the storylines, it's really easy in some of these some of these shows to go to a storyline and not come back to it for a little while. Sopranos did that every now and again. They would have a storyline. They wouldn't come back to it for like an episode or two. It's kind of annoying, but Ozarks keep, keeps the story flowing. They come back, they circle, they close the loop on stuff, and there's always new stuff entering, new characters entering, new storylines entering, so it keeps it, it really keeps you on the edge of your seat. I really encourage everyone to go watch it. Ozarks on Netflix, um, all around on this, on this whole program. So like I said, I'm not a big TV aficionado, series aficionado, drama, any of that stuff. I don't really watch movies or anything. I'm a sports guy. I love sports. That's all I do is watch sports. But in this time when you couldn't watch any sports, we had to find something else to do. So my last call favorite today, Ozark, Netflix. Go check it out and hope you enjoy it. That's my third episode now wrapping up the podcast today. So again, I appreciate everyone listening, subscribing, downloading, liking, wherever you get your your podcast. You can contact me at pulltabpodcast at yahoo.com. Send me your thoughts, feedback. If you have a pull tab, if you have a discussion point you want me to hit on, anything like that, you know, questions. If you want to know a little bit more about me, send me your questions. It's all good. I, I can incorporate it in the show just like I did with this one about some of the questions about my sports backgrounds. Appreciate everyone listening, and until next time, have a good one.